I am Darrell Gunter, your host for Leadership on WSOU 89.5 FM, located on the beautiful campus of Seton Hall University in South Orange, New Jersey. We are back this week with the village president of South Orange, Mr. Douglas Newman. Doug, welcome back to the program. It's a pleasure to be here. You know, unfortunately, uh, last week I had to stop you at a key point in talking about your alliance between South Orange and the community of Seton Hall. And you talked about there were three committees. Could you elaborate on those three committees and Uh, tell us how it's going? Absolutely. We created the South Orange-Seton Hall partnership, uh, and we we created uh, three committees or subcommittees. One is university engagement, the other is uh, community relations, and the third is economic development. And the university engagement was really to find ways uh, through programming to pull the community onto the campus to learn about Seton Hall's cultural arts, its athletic uh, events, uh, its facilities, you know, using the gym perhaps, the library, uh, educational opportunities, speaker series, and the like. The community relations was really trying to identify ways to accommodate students in the community. Students live in the community, they shop in the community, we wanted them to take advantage of what's in the community, and economic development was to identify places of intersection between the needs of students and the community uh, and try to foster uh, economic development uh, that would interest students. Um, just to pick up on the third one, although the committee's been slightly less active, working with the village liaisons, uh, a survey was done recently. Uh, I think about 750 students responded. And it's really fascinating because we now have access to sort of a clear roadmap for the kinds of things that students would like to see in the community. Some of them are, are, are doable or achievable. Some of them, honestly, are less practical just because the footprint of South Orange doesn't lend itself. You know, a good example would be students seem to like uh, chain restaurants, you know, the kind of restaurants you'd see on a, uh, what's called a pad in a shopping mall, like yes. an Applebee's. That's yeah. a good example. Or, you know, TGI Friday. Uh, unfortunately, we don't have the physical uh, qualities that lend itself to those kinds of chain restaurants. Really? So, yeah. you know, because they typically look for a certain footprint, they look okay. for a certain kind of parking situation. Uh-huh. Not to say that needs of students can't be met, but just sometimes there's a disconnect, right. you know, right. with what people right. envision. Right. Uh, or they say, well, why don't we have a Target, you know, store in our community? Oh. Well, they need 60,000 square feet. Right. <laughs> and uh, the typical storefront in South Orange is 1,500 to 2,000 square feet. Right, right. So, but beyond that, there are a lot, there's a lot of opportunity there. So it, it's been good. And I think, uh, you know, for those listeners who weren't able to tune in uh, to the last show, uh, you know, I just feel like there's a much better rapport between the university and, and the village. Um, it's not without its bumps. You know, from time to time, the village or the university does something that may not sit perfectly well with the other party. But I think part of the nice aspect of our relationship is, is even if there's disagreement about an action one of the institutions takes, it doesn't de- derail the ability to maintain a continuous conversation. There's a form right. for the dialogue. Absolutely. Absolutely. You know, I have noticed from your administration a, a, a shift to a very positive impact during the uh, village council meetings. Uh, what do you attribute to the the positiveness of the meetings versus before you came into office, uh, some of the meetings got a little rowdy. Right. Yeah, there was a lot of, uh, use your word rowdy, there's a lot of rancor as well. Uh, it was actually not, uh, not uh, uh, without thought. Uh, we made a commitment, and I articulated this commitment uh, in the very first meeting in uh, May of 2007, and then after the election in 2009, I re-articulated this commitment to a number of basic uh, administrative steps we would take to uh, treat these meetings uh, as an important uh, place in governance where the community could understand what we do, participate in what we do, and why we do what we do. Uh, I'm going from memory here. Um, but some of the things we said we would do, uh, some of them were subtle, subtle, some of them were substantive. I'll give you an example of something 
that's pretty substantive if you're paying attention. Uh, there was a long history in the past of agendas for the meetings not being made public until the last minute. We made a commitment that every ad meeting's agenda would be yes. posted online and available in physical copy and at the library and at the Baird Rec Center and in Village Hall by 12 o'clock noon on the business day before the meetings. Our meetings typically are Monday, right. and the clerk's office works very hard to get an agenda up and out and available to the public by 12 o'clock on Friday before the meeting. That's an example. Uh, resolutions. We pass many, many resolutions. They're less significant than an ordinance, uh, but they can be passed on a single vote. Uh, unlike an ordinance which requires two votes, a first reading and a second reading at a public hearing, yes. a resolution doesn't. We post every single resolution in draft form that's being considered, uh, you know, as best we can. There are some that come up at the last minute, you know, two hours before a meeting perhaps. We post those online. Uh, one of the things that had been done in the past and is still done across this country, but I find to be truly offensive, is a governing body going into executive session, which is allowed to by law, in the middle of a meeting without announcing why or without even giving clear indication when they're going to come back. Right. We made a commitment that we would hold all executive sessions until the end of the open public meeting. Right. So there was no reason for people to sit there and wait. Right. Uh, and importantly, you know, you could, if you wanted to, use an executive session in the middle of a meeting Essentially, when you have a large group of people there to protest an issue, there's oh. a way to uh, exhaust them and have them right. go home. The hour is late. It's 10 right. o'clock. It's 11 o'clock. I said, that's wrong. We should never do that. So right. we have never gone into executive session in the middle of a meeting in the last three years. Right. Uh, we, um, I'm just trying to think of some of the things we did. Um, one of the things that I also do, um, and this is more subtle, and I think this gets to leadership style, uh, we have professionals who work for the governing body, work for the community, they do the heavy lifting. Um, I have a personal policy that it's wrong uh, and it's irresponsible and it's really a lack of leadership to throw professionals under the bus in a meeting. Uh, there was a long history when the public became testy or concerned about an issue right. where the elected officials would turn to uh, the appointed officials or the hired employees, the professionals, and say, you know, why don't you explain how we got in this pickle, or why don't you explain? And so suddenly you would see these shouting matches where the public right. was attacking right. the employees. You know, there's a time and a place to criticize uh, an employee for something they did or didn't do, right. but I don't think that's the setting. Right. So I think if you look at three years' worth of tapes, uh, I don't think there's a single incident where, you know, employees were being taken to task, you know, by me, you know, occasionally, uh, trustee may not agree with that and may have taken this, but it's it's the rare exception. Right. So I think it maintains a certain decorum. And I guess the the other thing, just you know, since very you important me, word, decorum. Yeah, I think the other thing is I try to actually you know be very much involved or engaged in everything we do. So if you watch a meeting in person or uh, online or on TV, you'll see that uh, I will explain every ordinance and I'll explain it both before the first reading and a month later before the second reading. You know, why did we come to do this? There's one other thing I want to mention, because yes. this is actually a favorite topic of mine, but it's, 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 it's a subtle one, is we try very, very hard to discuss every topic uh, in a meeting prior to the meeting in which we take action on it. So uh, I think it goes without fail that we do not consider an ordinance on first reading, which has not been discussed at least in one prior meeting, and often for weeks and weeks and weeks and months which is why it's always interesting to get to a question you asked me uh, earlier, and that is, you know, how do you keep the public apprised? You know, often when people say, well, I didn't know you were doing this, you know, I, at least I can take some comfort in saying, well, there's a clear public record 
of numerous conversations right. about this. Right. So, and w- w- one last point is uh, sure. we have six committees of the board, uh-huh. and we try very hard to vet every single matter that we tackle right. in committee right. first. Right. So there's still yet another place in which wow. something is discussed and pushed around. So right. by the time it comes to the board, right. there's been a lot of eyes looking at it and a lot of people discussing it. Well, I have to say I was impressed. There was a particular situation where one particular individual's job was at stake, and I actually sent you a note. And it was a Saturday, and about 30 minutes later, I got a very detailed note from you that really explained the situation. And for a resident, it was very reassuring that I had voted for the right guy, but it was it was also uh, very humane on your part to really take the time to explain the issue uh, versus giving me maybe one paragraph, but you gave me, I think, three or four, which is very right. nice. And and I think that speaks to, I guess, your concern and your uh, allegiance to really make this village a better place. So yeah. I just want to commend you for that. Well, I appreciate that. And, uh, you know, some people have, you know, have responded similarly. I, I think uh, maybe there are some I've missed along the way. I think I've responded to every email I've received from a member of the community. And uh, I happen to use a version of uh, Microsoft Outlook Web Access, uh, and it shows a running total of emails I've received in three years. And I uh, recently looked at, I haven't looked at it in a while, a few months ago, I had received and read in three years, just exclusively for my role as village president, 50,000 emails. Wow. And it responded to over 25,000 emails. Wow. Now, some of them are internal to the village, but sure. uh, wow. if you do the math, it's a striking number. That I receive a- in excess of 50 <clears throat> emails a day with respect to just uh, the work as village president. Nothing to do with my personal life or my professional life. You know, what are the important aspects of a leader's being able to manage your time? How do you do it? It's a challenge. <laughs> you know, one of the th- one of my uh, shortcomings, my weaknesses, is I over-engage. You know, I, I'm a very engaged person. Uh, I have a very difficult time taking a superficial look at something, uh, and it can be very time-consuming. So the first thing that uh, is expended is sleep. Uh, I don't sleep enough. Uh, emails, uh, you know, tell a dirty little secret about how late I might email somebody and how early I might email them. And if you do the math, there's actually not that many hours between <laughs> the last email of the day and the first email of the next day. Right. Uh, so, you know, sleep is the first thing to go. But it's it's a challenge, you know. You, you do what you can do. Uh, and the other thing is, uh, it's almost an irony. It, you raise the bar, the expectation. So your example about, you know, the 30-minute 30 30 response to an email you know, then somebody who gets an email two days later, you know, gets angry. You know, right. why, did I, why did it take two days? Well, my experience has been in, you know, 98% of the world, whether it's corporate world or public sector, you're lucky to get any response. That's right. So, that you know, true. there's nothing wrong with setting the bar high, but, you know, then it's hard to keep up with it. That I mean, is true. I went away on vacation, uh, maybe a year ago, and I forgot to put out, uh, like, an auto-reply, you know, away from office right. kind of thing. exactly. And <coughs> I got a lot of grief from people that I didn't respond to their emails. And uh, you know, it's, like, <laughs> it's like no good, no good deed goes unpunished. Well, you know, I, I had a, a former colleague of mine who was a mentor, Bill McArdle with Dow Jones. And Bill, when I was uh, a new account manager with Dow Jones, uh, he was giving me some of his best practices. And he says, you know, Darrell, when someone calls me or emails me, I tell them, you'll hear from me within 24 hours or else I've died. And I've tried to hold to that credo so that people know that they expect to hear from you within a day. But you're right. When you slip past that day, right. Drilled. I thought you had died because right. you know I share that with my. Well, now with I know that. Customers. So if I don't hear back from you, I should call the police. That's right. <laughs> Send them over to my home. Is fine. Well, you know, it's funny you say that. I, I have my own standard, which is uh, to to respond to an email the first time I read it. The problem with that is, uh, or a phone call. The problem with that is I don't always have the answer. So what I've done uh, is to immediately respond and say, you know, I I need to look into this. I need to find out. Right. But I and I'll get back to you as soon as I know more. And I find that 
just that response uh, is important to people. Okay, oh, somebody read this and somebody's actually responding. Uh, I've tried to hold village staff to a standard, which is my own standard is if you get an email in the morning, mm -hmm. before noon, before lunch, you should respond to it before you go home. And if you get an email in the afternoon, you should respond to it the next day before you go to lunch. So essentially a half a business day cycle yes. to respond to an email. And speaking of the staff, um, what type of training because uh, a lot of a lot of our, our folks who have been working there have been long-term employees. Um, how do you address any training issues with people who are valued but have been here for a while but maybe have some of the habits that maybe might not be the best? Yeah. I think, you know, people, I think the vast, vast majority of people want to do the right thing. And I think it's as simple in most cases of just suggesting an alternate way to doing something and by and large people right. embrace it. If uh, it doesn't sit well with them, uh, you know, people can be what psychologists call passive aggressive. So they'll sort of nod their head that they're, you know, agreeing, but then they go off and continue to do what they were right. doing the day right. before. But I, you know, I think by and large, it's just really about giving people guidance. Uh, I personally, in most cases, try to uh, abide by the hierarchy of an organization. So in the case of South Orange, we have a business administrator, yes. we call yes. the village administrator. And uh, virtually every employee on an organization table reports up to the village administrator. Right. So it's first and foremost is to hold that individual accountable. Right. You know, there are routine things where I see something, I say, you know, I think there's a better way to do this, and I don't hesitate to reach out to somebody and suggest an alternate way to do it. But I think if you don't talk to a department head, or in this case the administrator or the police chief or the fire chief, it's hard to then hold them accountable right. for the work of their employees. That's right. So if I saw, for example, a police officer and thought maybe there's a different way or better way to do something, I honestly would never reach out to that police officer and suggest it. Right. I would either contact the chief of police or the village administrator and say, you know, I observed this and maybe there's another way to do this or we should talk about an alternate way to do that. Because if you take them out of the loop, it's not fair to then hold them responsible uh, for right. the work of their uh, employee. Um, in terms of formal training, uh, you know, depends upon the role somebody plays it. There's there are training opportunities for people on the job training right. as well as you know offline training. Uh, so mm. sometimes it's required. You know, police officers a good example is tremendous oh, yes. amount of training to stay current. Right. Uh, firefighters as well. Uh, in certain statutory roles like the tax assessor, the tax collector, there's tremendous amount of information and training resources that come from the state, right. or in some cases the county. So we just really try to make sure our employees take advantage of that. Uh, sometimes Excellent. it's difficult. The hardest challenge actually is to introduce somebody to something that they're uh, completely uh, unfamiliar with or new. Right. You know, example might be there's a tremendous amount going on with environmental sustainability. Uh, there are really very few aspects of what we do in government or in a municipality that we couldn't do better or differently to be right. more sensitive to the environment. Right. Some of that requires training, you know, a different way to think about, uh, you know, energy production, a different way to think about recycling, a different way to think about, uh, you know, how to engineer something. And right. so it just, you, you need to give people the, the leeway or the permission to go offline and spend a day at a seminar. Speaking about energy, I'm going to go off to a different topic. What is your thoughts or views on windmills for electricity production for residents uh, right well you know the controversy in this country is about viewscapes which is very interesting yes. you know uh, I'm somebody who's very appreciative of landscape and landscape design and uh, there have been some fascinating lawsuits over viewscapes which yes. is the right of yes. somebody on a piece property to have a unobstructed view of the valley or the mountain beyond them yes. um, so I think windmills are an incredible idea I mean it's I think a uh, uh, water-based turbine or a hydro turbine turbine electricity and wind are just brilliant solutions because, I mean, I can't think of a better example. I mean, Ireland today is generating a tremendous amount of power through uh, water turbines off the coast of Ireland. Right. They've channeled through brilliant engineering the power of the ocean 
into turning spinning turbines which generate electricity. Right. In a way, it's a throwback to what the the mills did in England and the Dutch and, yes. and, 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 and the colonists. You know, during the Great Industrial Revolution in the United right. States, people were taking water power coming down right. a river and, right. and turning a, a mill. You know, That's for right. gra- to, to grind up grain or uh, wool, whatever, anything. So the idea of using water or the wind to me it just just it doesn't get cleaner or more brilliant than that. What's interesting specifically about wind is that you find people either raise issues about the noise, because if you're in close proximity to one of these uh, wind turbines, yes. they do generate noise. Right. Uh, and now you have this issue going on off the coast of uh, Martha's Vineyard and, and uh, Cape Cod about people being upset about their view. The vista. The vista, <laughs> which is really interesting. And uh, for the moment, I'm siding with the need to uh, find alternatives to fossil fuels and against uh, the people in uh, Martha's Vineyard or in Cape Cod. Right. Interesting article in the paper since you raised this is uh, Rhode Island uh, has actually had s- made much greater success with uh, wind uh-huh. because uh, what they did is uh, they designed the solution so that it actually had a direct and immediate impact on the rates of the people whose views were being impacted. One ah. of the problems that was going on in, ah. is going on in Cape Cod, as I understand it, is that they're not seeing the financial benefit. Right. Show me the money. Right. So exactly. <laughs> I think, you know, people need to be a little bit smarter that if you're going to create an external impact like a, you know, noise or right. a, uh, diminished view, you need to think about, you know, what's in it for the person who's impacted. You know. Have we given any thought to putting some windmills up in the reservation? Yeah. Uh, uh, you know, we, we haven't. When you say we, the village, we haven't. Uh, I think that's something, honestly, that... Uh, would have to be uh, somebody from the private sector coming forward. I mean, the right. crest of the hill uh, in South Orange has already been discovered by cell phone companies. So yes. if you look at the water tower uh, at the very crest of South Orange where it meets the reservation, yes. the tower has uh, cell phone antenna antennae from three different carriers. We just put out an RFP and we got a bid uh, from another company, Metro PCS. Yes. So uh, people have discovered the unique position of the hill uh, what I understand is not actually considered a, a hotspot for wind. You know, okay. th- there are maps put out by the uh, government U.S. Geological Survey that show right. the best wind locations. It's yes. not considered an ideal wind location. Oh, okay. If it were, I'm sure we'd have people beating a path to our door asking us to put up a wind turbine. Right, you know? right. I'm waiting for somebody to come up with the, uh, you know, the household version you just put on your front lawn. And, you know. uh, that version exists. Does it? Except for it, uh, it has created a lot of controversy for the neighbors. Okay. They're concerned about... The view, (laughs) the vista. Well, you remember when uh, suddenly these, uh, you know, eight-foot satellite dishes were showing up in people's front lawns? Yes, 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 yes. It is a bit of an eyesore. It is a bit of an eyesore. Uh, What is your most proud accomplishment that you had during your first term as village president? Um, I would say three things. Um, Well, actually, a lot of things I'm proud of, but I would say three things. One we touched on earlier. And that is, I think, the way in which we govern, the openness, the transparency, mm-hmm. the willingness to take all comers uh, is something I'm particularly proud of. Uh, one of the things we've done for all boards and committees, we have an open process. We take applicants. Uh, there are no sort of side deals of appointing people. Uh, you can right. go on, you know, you and I talked uh, yes. before we got started about your interest yes. in a committee. Yes. And my first reaction was go on the website. Go on the website. Fill an application, There's an application. That's right. And we take <laughs> all applications equally seriously. Yeah. So. But, you know, the way we conduct ourselves, the way we do things, the way we use the Internet, the way we hold a meeting, I think that's important. I think taxes, you know, despite the incredible challenges, uh, I think we've done a remarkable job of holding the line on taxes. Last year, in the face of all of these issues, the tax increase in the municipal uh, levy was under 4%. 
This year we're targeting, uh, and I think we can get to uh, under 3.5%. Right. I'd love it to be 0%. I'm not sure that's practical in light of some of these issues without serious diminution of services, right? Uh, right. which is sort of the other side right. of this coin. Because it appears that the state is going to cut back on their aid to municipalities. They're going to keep cutting. They're yeah. going to keep cutting. You know, the governor today doesn't want to increase taxes on anybody. Uh, that's his mantra. Uh, he believes that uh, there's much to be done in Trenton. I personally wish he would take more out of Trenton and more yes. out of state government. Yes. But unfortunately, uh, yeah. there's just too much money that flows to the, to the towns. The irony of this whole thing, of course, is that it's local residents, you know, South Orange and any town, it could be Newark, it could be Short Hills, who pay sales tax, who pay corporate income tax, who pay personal income tax, right. who pay tolls, right. who pay, uh, you know, uh, uh, taxes on, on their phone bill and the like. It all flows into the state. Uh, and we as a community get far less than what we pay in. And that's a challenge. And yes. so, uh, you know, you look at that and you say, okay, why are we being cut back on state aid? We already get less than we pay in. Why are they not finding better ways to reduce the size of government in Trenton? Right. So it's right. a bigger problem than we can solve locally. But So I think the second accomplishment is holding the line on taxes in light of very trying circumstances. I think the third thing is really in the face of a two-year-long recession, you know, getting on the right track with the downtown. Uh, you mentioned this uh, before. Uh, Eden Marketplace is open. They've yes. opened a wonderfully successful restaurant upstairs. Uh, in the last few years, uh, while there have been businesses that have gone out of business, uh, there are probably 25 new businesses in town of every ilk. Yes. We have, uh, if you look at New Jersey Monthly, they just did, you know, sort of the best of issue. We have, uh, you know, one of the best toy stores in New Jersey, yes, uh, Sparkhouse yes. Toys. We have uh -huh. one of the small independent kitchen supply places, Kitchen a la Mode. Yes. You know, yes. there's a small-scale version of a Williams-Sonoma. Uh -huh. We have a wonderful women's jewelry and clothing store in the form of Robin Ross. Uh -huh. uh, we have wonderful eateries. Uh, yes. We have great bars. Uh, we, of course, have Sopac. Uh, so even under trying circumstances, really, other than some of the more off-the-beaten-path stretches of the downtown, right. there's really a very low vacancy rate. Right. People will look at a string of vacancies, let's say, uh, to the east of Village Hall, going towards Rite Aid. Right. It's unfortunately one of the less desirable locations, and the rents still have not yet reflected that, so they sit vacant. But if you look right. at Sloan Street, you look at the primary axis of South that's Orange right. Avenue, you look that's at Valley right. Street, basically the occupancy levels are fairly high. So that's the third thing. Um, you know, e not equally important, but I think important, we talked about Seton Hall and our relationship with Seton Hall. We continue to be strong supporters of recreational cultural arts in our library. Uh, crime rate is down. Um, you know, police department does an incredible job. Uh, they're good at not only deterring crime, but they're good at solving crimes when they occur. Right. I think right. they've really stepped up the game in terms of community relations. Yes. Uh, they work all the time with neighborhood associations that come together when there's a concern. Yes. And I think there's more that we can do in that regard is to get neighbors to work together. Absolutely. You know, as a coalesced uh, group of Speaking folks. about the police, uh, a few weeks ago when we had the first 70-degree temperature on a Saturday evening, uh, we were hit by something called a flash mob where the you know, kids text each other and say, we're going to meet at South Orange or the village, as they call us. The Ville. The, oh, the Ville. Thank you. Uh, my daughter's probably cringing since my dad's trying to be cool. But it, it seems to me that the police, even without the resources to deal with a crowd that large, they, they were able to manage and, and, and quell the situation. Uh, I know there's been some meetings since that time. Have there been any next steps or, 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 or thoughts about if that occurs again, how we can? Sure. Uh, first of all, for listeners who may not be familiar, on March the 20th, uh, it was the middle of March and the weather was unseasonably warm. 
And uh, we had had issues in previous summers, in the middle of summer, where large groups of kids gathered. You know, we are an incredibly attractive place to come if you're a teenager. We have, I did a count recently, 10 different food establishments right. where for under $5, you can get an ice cream, you can get a soda, you can get hamburger. a hamburger, a slice of pizza. That's right. I mean, it's just a, a donut, whatever. They, whatever. Yeah, Rita's. Yeah, yeah. It's just, it's really impressive. Yeah. I mean, we have multiple ice cream parlors. Yes. We have yeah. multiple places to get pizza. We have multiple places to get takeout food, what have right. you. So we're a safe place, we're a nice place, uh, and so we're an attractive place for kids to hang out. Kids need a place to hang out. But in light of that, a lot of uh, thinking and discussion and, and, and planning went into uh, think this, what would we do for this coming summer? And honestly, the, most of the thinking focused on what would we do sort of from April forward, uh, mid to late April forward as the weather turned warm. So what happened on March 20th, there were literally people out in t-shirts. And as you described a moment ago, uh, a group of kids apparently decided that they all wanted to hang out in South Orange. And literally between the hour of 8.30 and 9 p.m. on March the 20th, we went from having 20 kids walking around our downtown to what police subsequently estimated between three and 500 kids. Wow. Not insignificant. Uh, so even though we have, you know, patrol officers who are on duty and we have people in the downtown, they were absolutely unmatched in terms of the, you know, you cannot have 500 people of any age, right. you know, and a few police officers. Now, some right. critics would say, why didn't the police look at a weather forecast and anticipate this? I honestly don't think that's practical. Right. Uh, because I just don't think it's practical. Exactly. But a decision was made with a consultation with the chief by the lieutenant, on-duty lieutenant, right. uh, what we, you know, is the person on charge of the, the tour. Uh, and he made a decision at 9 o'clock that evening to put out a mutual aid call. Uh, and that's something that exists. It's always existed. Uh, fire department relies heavily on mutual aid. There isn't really a working fire in South Orange where you don't see fire trucks from Maplewood, West Orange, East right. Orange, Orange, Irvington. Right. Supporting each other. We work, we work to support <coughs> each other. And the police have the same uh, resources at their disposal. So uh, decision was made very quickly. I mean, literally the crowds amassed in 30 minutes. And by 9 p.m. we put out a mutual aid call. And we had uh, help from Irvington, East Orange, Orange, West Orange, Maplewood, and New Jersey Transit. Right. And essentially by 10 p.m. they had dispersed the crowd. And kids, you know, were walking out of town, finding their way home. Some of them getting on buses, some of them getting on the train line. Uh, and so, you know, the sort of the dust blew over. But it gave us reason to really sit down in earnest on Sunday and Monday and start thinking, okay, how do we kind of nip this in the bud and, right. and prevent this? Uh, so in addition to what was already being planned, which fell into two categories, which was increased staffing on Friday and Saturday evenings, and also this organization, Main Street South Orange, which is a nonprofit, was planning musical concerts to attract more <laughs> families into the downtown right. on Fridays and Saturday evenings we said we need to kind of step up our game. Yeah. And stepping up our game was really about just making South Orange a safe place for everybody to be. Uh, exactly. And, uh, you know, the simple, there, I'm not going to get into all the tactics were, sure. that were discussed and agreed upon, but one of the things was the realization that when a person of any age, it doesn't have to be a teenager, uh, does something that falls under the state statutes for criminal misconduct, you know, that we need to deal with it. Uh, and a simple example is impeding the flow of traffic. Mm -hmm. on a road like South Orange Avenue is not right. a small deal. Right. Impeding the flow of pedestrians on a sidewalk is not a small deal. Right. Using, you know, over-the-top vulgar language directed at somebody else is it all fall within under the right. criminal misconduct statutes. So loud, there was... Loud music falls under that too. Loud music does at a certain level. So right. there was a decision made by the police chief in concert with Village Council that we had every basis to enforce what our existing statutes have been on right. the books for a long time. The second thing was, you know, we believe we need to have an uh, increased police presence, which we agreed to do. And a number of other things that we, we're doing, which I'm not at liberty to discuss. But sure. essentially from the following weekend thereafter, which mm -hmm. was 
uh, March the 26th to this day, uh, there has really been zero issues. We still have kids that come to South sure. Orange. They're still buying ice cream, right. still buying a slice of pizza, hopefully right. having a good time. Right. But uh, I think, by and large, you know, kids understand that mm-hmm. uh, we take, uh, you know, the safety and the protection of the public very seriously. And we want this to be a welcoming community to shop in, to go out to dinner, to go to a show, to go to right. a movie. Right. And, there's, and, and we welcome everybody. Everybody's welcome. But people just need to be uh, mindful that they, they mm-hmm. can't, you know, block an entire sidewalk, right. intimidate people. They can't stand on the right. street and block traffic. Right. Uh, so some of the things that were going on, a lot of them just the antics of teens being teens. Exactly. Uh, we just said, you know, it doesn't it doesn't right. work. We can't let this happen. In the spirit of communication, um, have we given thought to maybe to take this message on a community basis into the school systems so that as the students are made aware of these sta- existing statutes that they'll know, okay, I need to be mindful of the vulgar language. I need to be yeah. mindful of the loud music. I need it's, to it's, a good, it's a good question. I'm not sure I have a kind of silver bullet solution. I'll tell you why. Uh, <clears throat> first of all, it's pretty clear from the events of March 20th that a very, very significant portion of the kids uh, are not South Orange and Maplewood residents. Right. Because right. the police were involved in dispersing the crowd, it was very evident uh, the kids were walking home to other communities. Right. Okay. So accessing those school systems may not be practical. Right. The second thing is that I think 99.9% of the kids are, you know, have only the most innocent of intentions. They're just, right. you know, right. I have a, uh, daughters 20, daughters 24. Mm-hmm. When they were in their teens, it, you know, they would hang out. Right. So I'm a little concerned about, you know, approaching kids in mass as if they all, you know, or even contemplating criminal misconduct sure. when in fact so few people right. fall in that category. Right. So uh, I, I'm not sure I have the answer. We haven't sure. really sort of decided that this mm-hmm. has got to be a teachable lesson in school. Right, um, right. Or just as a FYI, by the way, while you're enjoying your ice cream or your hamburger, keep in mind I that think that's happening in real time uh, as they get to know the police officers walking around. Right. By the way, that happened that's in it. Maplewood a few years ago uh-huh. and there wasn't a single teen in South Orange or Maplewood who wasn't aware you know, uh-huh. that Maplewood was taking very seriously the issue of criminal misconduct. Well, very good. Well, I've enjoyed our discussion over the last two weekends. Doug, is there anything else that you would like to share with our listener, our listening audience about leadership? Uh, you know, not so much about leadership. I think in terms of public service, I would just like to inspire anybody uh, from anywhere who is thinking about contributing in some level of civic engagement. You know, don't, don't hesitate. Just do it. You know, you don't have to have any experience. You just have to have a willingness and a commitment to try it. And, you know, I'm a living example, um, you know, that if you, if you put your mind to it and you want to participate in local government at any in any community, just just do it. Find a way that fits, it's comfortable for you and just, just put yourself out there and engage. Well, I've enjoyed it. I want to thank the village president of South Orange, Douglas Newman. I want to thank you, Doug, for coming in. And I think our audience has learned a lot about you and about the administration and the great things ahead for South Orange. Great. Thank you very much. A pleasure to be here. This is Darrell Gunter, your host for Leadership on WSOU 89.5 FM and streaming on the net at WSOU.net. Remember, leadership begins with you.